bringing you perspectives of all types as we discuss issues of the day, both local and around the world. So uh, today we're going to talk about a few things, but primarily I think uh, Mr. Andy here is going to bring up his topic. Yeah, so the uh, idea of political parties uh, mm-hmm. and who are, who are politicians? Let's be honest. Who are politicians? Who are those Esoteric. guys and, and gals? Um, but more specifically, you know, what whose interests do they really represent? Right. Um, I guess my theory that kind of brings us into this is that, um, you know, the Republican Party especially, but, you know, both parties can be equally guilty of this at times. But uh, it seems as though they really only represent the the interests of the political elite, um, you know, and, and their corporate interests. Um, but they're able to generate enough of a following by siding on certain issues and, you know, generating enough of a passionate following by representing certain issues that, you know, may or may not fall in line with what their actual intentions are. So, right. And do you feel that one political party does this more than, than the other? Or if, if, yeah. if it doesn't, well, does it do it differently? Well, I, like I mentioned, I feel like the Republican Party is, you know, more guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's I don't I don't really want to generalize. I think it's certain politicians are more guilty of this than others. But from my perspective, when I was younger, um, you know, going to college and stuff, I was definitely as left wing as it got, socialist, whatever you want to call it, and and um, and I, there was a, this obvious tendency, especially with Fox News and all that, to be like, well. I just think that the right wing wingnuts, that is where the problem is at. And yes, we, we as a leftist would, we have some faults, but we mean well. Yeah, and that was something that I felt was really important is that, okay, if you screw up, that's fine, but at least your intentions are good. And I felt a lot of, uh, you know, folks who call themselves socialists or things like that had that perspective, you know, that's, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I guess my biggest iteration of, or example of this, um, you know, what I'm trying to say is that look at the past two major Republican candidates, you know, prospectively the one that's in this next upcoming election, mm-hmm. um, that guy that wears the toupee, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the you know the last Republican candidate that ran against Obama's reelection, Mitt Romney, like very obviously both are you know millionaires, billionaires, elitist, maybe um, you think absolutely, mm-hmm. um, always been one of the top one percent. Um, you know, very much raised with a silver spoon. Right. Uh, definitely not representing the interests of the rest of the 99%. Right. Um, I, I'm not saying that Republicans aren't any wealthier <laughs> than Democratic candidates. Uh, I'm just, I guess I'm just curious about how, because going back to what I was saying about shifting from that kind of left way, and I, I'm not going to go through the whole history of it, but just for the point of conversation. So now that I'm a little more... I don't, I don't affiliate with one particular side. It's bizarre how my perspective of, let's say, Fox News and conservative people, even on, on Facebook, right, or any kind of social media when, you're, when you get into these discussions with people. Um, now I look at that, I look at MSNBC, and I see the left just as, honestly, just as um, unfair sometimes in how they characterize people and just as corrupt. Um. The, like right now, the man with the to- toupee is getting a lot of news, but he's thrust into our face constantly. Yeah. Well, I think also, too, on either side, it's the extremes that tend to be broadcast more, that tend to be represented more in the media. Right. So I don't know that that's an 
representative example of you know who is actually right um, you know holding office but I think in general um, you know there are a lot of politicians out there I will say at least nine out of ten politicians are definitely maybe preaching you know a, right. a, a message that's receivable by the larger public but for the most part they're not representing the general public's interests absolutely they're representing their own or their you know their sponsors interests right um, which you know is very much the way that the media operates um, and so I see them as somewhat similar in that way yeah I mean you brought up a good point at the very beginning of this particular uh, episode where who are these politicians just to guess there's a great question to ask who are they right yeah. you know all we know about them is kind of like through, through this media machine and we don't know who sponsors them, at least not immediately. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're almost represented in the same way that corporations are, you know? Right. Like, you don't know what these corporations have actually been doing, but they spend so much money in marketing and, you know, creating right. that perception of themselves that you don't actually know what they're doing because that information is a lot harder to find and it's not thrown in your face. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's why we're here to, <laughs> to dig some of that up, I suppose. Yeah. Um. But it really is about a different, a fresh way of looking at things with politics. Because I, honestly, the past few years, I haven't been following politics as much just because I feel yeah. I'm better informed by not doing that. Well, and also following politics can also mean just watching people scream at each other on Fox News. Right. Um, who says that that's any better for you? <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I'm a little. That's why I like this because we, we have uh, three different perspectives, you know, in this particular show. Um, um, I don't want to. I mean, actually. Andy, when you and I have talked, I know when we first started talking about this, both of us are kind of dismayed with the system. We're right. kind of like, yeah, and nah. it's hard not to be like, if you really kind of look at things from a historical perspective and then look at where things are now, it's just like, I don't know. It's hard, hard to even get wrapped up in it. Like how do you what, get out of what it? people call politics now almost seems like, you know, Sh- soap show. operas and like, it's like watching the Jersey shore. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to, you know, to Donald, what Donald Trump said last, it, it, Exactly. It really is. Uh, I, I mentioned, I think, the last podcast, this guy on the street asked me, what do you think about this guy, you know, the man with the toupee? And I'm continuing that to this to this conversation here today. It, it's all show. It's all theater. And I mean, even the nicest right. guys. I mean, you know, I, I have nothing personal against Obama, um, but there's just a lot of theater about him as well. The hope, the change that he got elected with. Right. This idea of being very progressive where he's actually very moderate. For, for He's not very progressive. He's very uh, a central Democrat. Kind of like in the form well, of Bill Clinton. And also, too, I mean, who he was prior to even the, you know, the election cycle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to who he's been as a president is very different as well. Right. Uh, because once you step into that office, you all of a sudden represent, you know, a lot of different things that, you know, maybe you didn't before. And not only that, he's got a lot more information that he did not prior to taking office. So, yeah, um, yeah. those are two different things as well, but it's true. And there's, uh, I, we're not in there, so we don't know for sure, you know, what they do to the presidents right. once they take office. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, Cause it's one of two things. One that they lie their asses off before trying to get elected or two, they were in earnest. And when they got into the office, they slipped in these chips in the necks of their daughters, threatening them with their lives. If they didn't do what they was told, you know, what they were yeah. told by, by the elite. So maybe I mean, not, maybe not so extreme, but I feel like to a certain <laughs> extent, like they are kind of like, you know, yeah. here's the stakes now. Like, here's all this information that you didn't know before. Maybe you can't do some of those things that you said you were going to. Right. Um, which is disappointing. I mean, it, it, that's a system, yeah. systemic thing. Yeah. Um, what I feel is, is important, though, to emphasize is that it's not on whose team. And let me explain this to you. Uh, 
a couple of years ago, conversations about you know uh, Obama being as bad as Bush came up, right? And years before that, I would think that's unheard of. You know, I hated Bush and Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, all that, right? They're awful. I, I hated. I mean, hate <laughs> is not too strong of a word for for how I felt at that time. In two thousand four, when when Kerry lost to to Bush in that reelection, I was looking at flights to go to London to to leave, you know, the country with my girlfriend at the time. We were both like, "Fuck this, we're out." Um, Kerry, by the way, is one of the one percent. He's pretty wealthy. With yeah. Side note, I, th- I thought about that. Hey, yeah. hey, he won three Purple Hearts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which okay, speaking of crappy media, there was this uh, campaign which said that that was all false. I forgot the the Swift Boat. Yeah. Uh, forgot what the title. The Swift Boat campaign. <laughs> Saying that, oh, Kerry really wasn't blah blah blah, and it was a bunch of lies yeah. or exaggerations, you know. And really, he really was an honestly goodness Purple Heart winner, you know. But that 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 helped that hurt him a little bit during that campaign. Yeah. But anyway, during during that time, I, all I saw was I, it looks like you want to say something. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also too like saying that he was a Purple Heart winner as if that somehow qualifies him more or negates the fact that he is part of the one percent, you know. Right. Like I think a lot of times, especially with military awards, like. They just hide behind it, but like, what does that actually mean? Right. Like, I think military service in general, and and especially you know military awards or decorated military right. service people are so like hallowed that it's like no one's even willing to touch that. Right. So, they can't so, question so that. let's touch it, guys. Yeah. Like if you let's touch if that. you vote against John McCain, does that mean, <laughs> I mean you it's not, he was a POW? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's not that I don't think that it's an honorable thing to do to go and serve your country and you know what have you, but at the same time, like what are they actually doing when they're out there? Like mm-hmm. for the most part, you're representing the interests of the U S government, which, you know, a lot of times is not really representing the will of our people or like protecting any, you know, things that are being deprived from us. A lot of times it's, it's representing the interests of our government. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, right. that's not necessarily always important to our rights or our liberties or, you know, anyone that's threatening that. A lot of times, it's somebody that just isn't doing what we want them to uh, geopolitically. Yeah, we could talk um, for hours. And so, about that, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's... But in a lot of ways, I think that you know, our military is basically just the strong arm of our government. Like, it's not. Mm-hmm. They don't always just do honorable things. Like, they're not always saving. You know, it's not always about freedom, burning buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which so. It's Anyways, a, that's another segue. Yeah, we well, okay, so that's that. understanding that is part of the process where I went from hating Bush and his cadre to understanding it was a systemic problem, especially in 2008 when Obama won. And to me, that election was my last grasp, my last gasp, I should say, of hope in the system. I was already kind of a little you know, disillusioned about it before then. Right. But I figured, okay, you know, this is this is about hope and change, and he started listing some things off that that people were, this is Obama talking during his yeah. campaigns, that people were feeling, you know, yeah. this is a, the wrong war. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be at war, you know, um, uh, everything from the economy to housing to all, all these little micro issues that people just related to, like, you know what, this is finally somebody who's speaking up for me and how I feel. Yeah. Not the elites. Like you're talking, not just a strong arm of the elites like the military would be. So he gets elected and the first few days, great, executive order to shut down Guantanamo Bay. Yeah which I'm still waiting for that to happen. And it's almost the end of his term. Yeah. And then there, he had, uh, he had promised during the campaign, uh, not to continue the Bush tax cuts. Yeah. Not to continue the Patriot Act. Right. Yeah. He's done all of those things. And he's continued the Patriot Act and he yeah. renewed the Bush tax cuts. Yeah. 
with a majority in Congress at the time. This is something uh, some of the Obama apologists have said, like, oh, yeah. well, he's had to work against Congress, you know, the party of no, right. you know, voting against him. And like, no, you had two years yeah. to do whatever the hell you wanted to do and clean this up like you said you would, yeah. and you didn't. Yeah. On the other hand, his power is pretty limited past vetoing bills. There's not much the president can do other than just be the figurehead of this huge government. And not only that, I mean, especially with the issue of closing down Guantanamo Bay, like what CIA briefs did he receive that, you know, maybe he said, you know, and, and that the rest of the general public doesn't know about that says like, oh, well, maybe we should have that. <laughs> right. You know, like what strategic interest does it represent that we don't necessarily know about? Right. Well, that, okay, that kind of points to the idea, well, what we talked about last week, why I feel it's much more problem of the system than a particular villain in office. Yeah, and and so honestly, my my the, the test for Bush lessened, because, um, I mean, if he's doing the same thing, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. If Obama is doing the same thing in many ways, continuing the war in Iraq for as long as Bush said he was going to be, when Obama ended the war, well, ending the war is kind of in quotes because we still have troops there. We have still still in troops in Germany from World War II. So ending the war is kind of we have, we have troops in most countries. Yeah, that's it's kind of a weird way to say stuff like that. But let's say ending the, you know military action as we saw it. Bush said by a certain year we would be out and Obama just kept to that. So he did exactly what Bush was going to do anyway. And then continued a lot of the same policies. So I'm as a progressive as a, a progressive at that time, I'm going what the fuck there is no difference so far. Very, very little difference, I should say, between between the two. But I mean, really, like they—it's easy to like pin these things on them. But at the end of the day, like, what are they really when it comes to influencing these things? They may be the ones that we're blaming it on or personifying these actions on. But really, it's the government that's doing these things, and the government is not just one person. It's like a you know, it's a large number of people, but also interests. Um, you know mostly economically but also you know go ahead could you argue that i mean this is pretty extreme it's not my opinion but that bush brought us so far backwards that it's taken eight years just to get a little bit towards the middle where we've gotten that you you can't immediately go from how far back we are to ahead you have to slowly work your way back and it takes Two, three, four terms of presidency. Okay, well, there's there's two conflicting thoughts here. It's, it's a great question. I I want to give you Andy a second to, to to answer that, but let me just address this. If what you're saying is, it's it's not you can't blame the person, right? Government's too big for thing for one person to have an effect. But then but then there's a perspective like I said of oh I hate Bush. He brought us all the way over here. So it's one or the other. Either yeah. somebody or an administration has enough power to screw everything up for eight years. More than that, actually, now 16 years, I guess, since he was elected. Or he doesn't. So, you know, which is it? I, I feel, I, I submit, it's not, that's not, that was my conclusion from this whole thing I was rambling on, where there, it's the system. It's not one person who's doing it. It revealed Bush, okay, I'm going to answer your question too, so, uh, Lee. So, no, I, I don't think Bush brought us out or into a, a position that was just so horrible that it's taken so many years to bring us back. We were already in that position. I think really he just kind of enabled in a, in a lot of ways. Like he just kind of let these things happen that were already starting to happen, but that, you know, a lot of interests, you know, wanted to happen, um, especially, you know, namely the war in Iraq. Like there were a lot of corporate interests that really wanted that to happen, both in the, you know, gas, oil and gas, which represent some of the most powerful companies in the world, mm -hmm. um, not some of like the most powerful companies in the world. 
but also too all the military contracts that you know were given out and um, you know the military manufacturers right. and that entire corporate entity that benefited from that war like he may have been the one that finally signed on the dotted line but at the end of the day like he was not the one that made that happen completely he maybe just consented to it yeah, yeah the democratic party there. the democratic party voted to support bush right that, at that time exactly so yeah. i mean how is it and so did their so I don't understand like how is Bush then? I'm gonna looking back from this perspective. I'm not talking to myself when I was in 2002 or whatever. Yeah. How are we to look at Bush saying, well, the Halliburton contracts for Cheney and you know all these military deals, uh, getting money out of that was because of the Republicans in power when the Democrats signed on as well. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I think that a lot of times we use Republicans and Democrats to say like, oh, they did this and they were against them, but at the same time, like a lot of those people are all represented by the same corporate interests. Okay. So whose side are they actually on? They're, they're kind of on the same side, depending on who you're talking Is about. Is it good cop, bad cop, you think? Because <laughs> if it was good cop, bad cop, Republicans would easily be the bad cop, right? Coming in and looking really bad, yeah. and Democrats come in looking, looking better. I, mean, I think you're just kind of, in a lot of ways, it's giving people the illusion of a choice. Like, they have this choice of Republicans or Democrats, and, oh, I'm with them and I'm against them. But right. in reality, a lot of... like. I, I said previously, nine out of ten, if not more, of the politicians in office do not represent public interest. They represent their own interests and public interests and the interests of their economic well-being. Right. However, that comes to be. It, uh, the greatest example of, uh, examples of what you're talking about, I think, personified, are Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul. And I bring up those two because I, w- I went from being a big supporter of Dennis Kucinich, who I even worked on his campaign for a little bit. Um, until until it was whittled down to just Obama and I think Hillary Clinton in 08. And, and I swung all the way to, to, to Ron Paul. Now, they, it seems like polar opposites. You have basically a socialist versus a libertarian, you know, yeah. in, in that perspective. But they were that one in 10 politician that you're referring to. Right. Andy. They were the ones that are like, I don't really care how, how my vote, how my, my polls are. Dennis Kucinich said, we should create a department of peace. Yeah. Okay. Not a department that's, of defense. That's cute. It's cute, right? Uh, <laughs> um, and and he got made fun of for just for being vegan, you know, right. for being five foot five or whatever he is. Um, but he spoke his mind about all these things that he felt government was a solution for, not through a mainstream sort of sort of way, but really just trying his best to say, look, we're not doing a really good job with with helping each other out. So here's all the money you could save by not going to war. You know, put it into you know not just the the Department of Peace, the Department of Education, all these sorts of things. Universal health care would be a foregone conclusion you know, with this guy. So he was the the socialist, which was great. I was socialist at the time, and it worked out fine with my, my my train of thought. And then you know, Ron Paul and him actually got together on a few things in some some TV spots or some YouTube thing, or I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just during an interview during the show, and they listed the things that they agreed on. And ideologically, these are polar opposite people, but they realize that the mainstream and by mainstream, just the establishment when it comes to, to, to our political system and the media. But, you know, I'm specifically referring to the Republican Party and the Democratic Party um, just continue to fail the people, continue to delude the people. So these two people with opposite ideologies knew as much as say, hey, let's, let's get together on the causes we do agree on, like preventing the war or getting out of the war. Yeah. And I think that a large reason why there are the exceptions is that they don't really care what their party decides to support or, you know, 
or what their corporate interests decide to support or what their PACs want them to support. They're going off of what's the best for the people. How can I represent the people's interests? Um, And I think that public servants like that are so rare nowadays that it's really, it's really rare and refreshing to actually see or hear one. Um, But at the same time, that represents so many things against the established power structure that, you know, Right. Who's to say whether that will ever be successful? Um, and I guess we'll see in the case of Bernie Sanders. Right, Bernie Sanders is the latest, greatest example of this. I yes, mean, he's, absolutely. He's he was he's basically what Ron Paul was, but with the left. I mean, the, yeah, with the left this time. Whereas, yeah, I think because Ron Paul ran as a Republican twice. Uh, excuse me, as a Libertarian, uh, a couple of times and got like 08 percent of the vote or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. Thus, last time, uh, when was it? Whenever the last election was that he ran for, I think it was in 08. Um, no, 2012, because I voted for him in 2012. I actually voted on that. Um, he uh, he ran as a Republican, and he answered questions people asked him, was like, "Why are you running as a Republican this time? Have you shifted your ideology?" And he said very blunt, uh, bluntly, "No, I just need the attention. I need yeah. I need to be on stage with these people." You know, I can get matching funds from the Republican Party. You know, like he basically yeah. he's able to mount some sort of campaign. And he got more votes and he got more attention and good for him, you know, yeah. but it's for the causes. And he, he pretty much knew he wasn't going to win. I mean, maybe he didn't say it, but he knew he wasn't right. going to win. Right? I, yeah. Everybody hoped that he did that, that supported him, but he was out there fighting for his causes. Yeah. That's something that, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, frankly, who is who is an independent before. Right. OK. Much left leaning, but he's running as a Democrat. Yeah. I mean, now. I think that's the thing is that they those types of politicians um the true, you know, public servants, they don't necessarily need these labels. They're representing what's in the best interest for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really the established power structure and our political structure that forces them to put these labels on. And right. so, you know, they're going to do whatever best is best for them and what gets them elected and, you know, allows them to further serve their public. So I'm going to ask a tough question that either of you can answer because I know Lee's been listening intently. Um taking notes he's the only one of us that's actually taking notes um i I just feel that your original question who are these politicians is so important that how can you change the system from a corrupt system to one that serves the people again if you're going to have a government that's in parentheses here you know i felt from the last you know last time we we recorded a podcast right but if you're going to have a government with a, a system to serve the people the question of who are these politicians, you have to ask that and be like, well, what system can be, what can real, I mean, in rephrases, this is a silly question that I'm asking so far. How can you transition from where we are to where Bernie Sanders has to self-identify as a Democrat and Ron Paul has to self-identify as a Republican when they're not just so they can get attention and get the, get the media, you know, on their side enough to where they can say their message. How can you go from that to where you don't even need to blend into the media? To blend into the Democratic or Republican Party. I mean, I don't think you can because it comes back to that thing of those in power want to stay in power. And I think that these parties hold so much power, not only because of the politicians that are in them, but because of the, you know, who supports the Democratic Party, who supports the Republican Party, um, Mm -hmm. that they they like the system the way it is. And so they don't want to see it change as much as the individual does. Um, And it's the individual that wants to see these levels shed and right. That doesn't necessarily care about it. But at the same time, too, like how do you get the attention of the general public? And a lot of times, if you have lots of individuals, it's hard for people to pay attention and say, like, oh, that's 
that's who I want to support. And that's the person that, you know, that I feel like has my interests at heart. Um, when really it's just easier for them to pay attention to, you know, say, Oh, I'm Democrat or I'm Republican or say, you know, basically identify that way without actually having to do as much research or, you know, figure out who are these individuals. So, so you're, you're uh, kind of summarizing what you're saying. So you're saying there really isn't a way to get that done with our no. system. I mean, I think that, you know, on one hand it is partly the system and it's what is, is established. And so it's going to be hard to remove that. On the other hand, I don't know that we have that much of an informed, um, you know, an informed voting basis to to really have an open system like that, you know? Give me some hope, man. Oh, give me, give me <laughs> some good news. I'm just being pragmatic. That's what I do. <laughs> um, so there's no, okay, okay, if you had to figure out a way, all right, I, I know I know a lot of things have to change, right? What would be a couple steps? Well, so I think a big part of it would be do right how do you inform the public in a way that they're able to, you know, figure out where they stand on all these different issues and, and really figure out like what, how how would their interests be best represented? And I think that that comes to the media, um, but that's kind of a large part of the problem is that the media just entertains people. It doesn't necessarily inform them, and, and maybe people don't even want to be informed. Maybe that's not why they turn on the TV. I mean, it's I like, like how, how do you get people to learn stuff that they need to learn? You know, right, right. I like how you propose a solution and immediately shot it down. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's, well, it's we, not a problem that's necessarily that easy to solve, is, is I guess what I'm getting at. You okay, know? so you, you're at the point where you just accepted it, that this is the way it is, this is the way it's probably always going to be, and we just do the best that we can while we're here on the I earth. mean, I'm just a realist, you know? I mean, I think also, too, you're talking about how does this happen for a very complex situation with, like, millions and millions of people. Um, mm-hmm. And how do you get them all to think the same way or agree that, yeah, this is the best way. Right. I don't think it's possible, you know. I really just don't. And, you know, it's great that we can sit here and discuss this, but at the same time, like, we're in a very small percentage of people that are informed enough to even know about it or or even care about it, you know. Right. Or even know enough Most to care. Most people don't even care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most people couldn't give less of a shit. So that's why right. they think it's hilarious when Donald Trump says something. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's wacky. That's interesting. I'll watch that. Right. That's a very dark perspective, but that is your perspective. It's the way it is. Dark it's day the way of the world. No, I don't dispute. Actually, I don't dispute anything you're saying because um, I struggle. I don't I don't have an answer. You know, I ask you that yeah. question just because yeah, I, I really, I at this moment, I, I can't really disagree with anything you're saying. Um, I want to think, I want to hope, you know, that um, – Things will change the more that we just make people aware through the means that we can, such as yeah. podcasts or conversations. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we're definitely getting there, I guess, is the is the glimmer of hope. No, you don't. You, but no, but, no, you don't. No, we're moving that direction. <laughs> I mean, the, the age of the Internet, I think, is so powerful. You yeah. know, prior to this, there was no access to information like this that was so open source that anyone could have. Well, I say anyone a large percentage of people could have access to that wasn't curated or, um, you know, in some way manipulated by the established power system. Right. Um, so this is a big thing and we're finally reaching a turning point to where a candidate like Bernie Sanders can actually gain traction. Right. Um, and you know, hopefully we'll be successful and, you know, in the past it was seen as, you know, people like Ron Paul or, um, Kucinich were maybe seen as, you know, out there or, you know, minority representatives, but at the same time, 
you know, prior to that, somebody like that would have never even been in the spotlight at all. Right. So we're, we're, we're moving forward, but at the same time, it's slow going because you're talking about re-educating, you know, a whole public and, yeah. and that's not something that happens overnight or even, you know, over the course of years or an election cycle, even it's something that has to happen generationally yeah, absolutely. You know, because you have people that have lived their whole life and things have been a certain way and they've been fed this information from, you know, whatever sources and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they're not necessarily interested in changing or learning a new perspective when they already have the one that they have and they mm-hmm. are willing to defend that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's hard and it's slow progress, but you know, I do think we are making progress. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I'm going to try to give some good examples of how progress has been made. Um, at least when it comes to different, it may not be the whole um, geopolitical issue right now, but um, a couple of things that come to mind is I'm going to throw this as an example out there just because of, of my personal experience with it. What I've discussed with some friends, veganism. Okay. The, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you get a little laugh. Oh boy. Here we no, go. No, no, no. I'm not going <laughs> to. So for the next 30 minutes, let me just tell you about veganism. All right. No, because um, uh, I was talking with somebody else about this, about like how you can see some things change. And this is just one example. But um, the perception of veganism changes, I swear, every 10 years or even faster than that. It went from being this, I mean, really granola, you're a granola girl or granola guy who lives in the forest, you don't shower and never shave and you eat nuts and berries and you're about 100 pounds soaking wet at six feet tall or whatever, you know. And you're weak. Wait, wait, wait. Which of those things is not true for you? <laughs> I sometimes shave. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Everything Burst else. in my bubble. <laughs> hey, I'm eating a lot now and I'm working out. So look out. Um, no, it, it's just one of those things that, that now that nutritional information is getting a little more uh, prevalent, you know, out there. It's taking a while. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what that is in, in terms of like documentaries, like food right. documentaries. Um but also um, ethical questions, you know, where, where some people don't even consider the idea of eating animals wrong. Actually, most people at this point still don't. But that, that shifts. That shifts, at least in the mainstream, okay? At least in the mainstream, it shifted to where people at least know what veganism is. Like, the fact that you even know what it is and you still disagree with it is better than not even knowing what it is, you know? So there is glacial, pro- glacial progress, I should say, you know, with that. But there is there is progress. There's... Stores, H-E-B, a local grocery store here, carries vegan mayonnaise now. And up until like last year, that has never happened. <laughs> Veganism has been around since 1940, you know, uh, at least that coined as a term and, you know, dairy-free stuff and all that stuff's been around. But but in, in an H-E-B, um, not necessarily in the fancy part of town, okay, they carry vegan mayonnaise. Those little things like that to someone that, that has been watching this for the past 20 years, like, like myself, um, you see, you see changes. You know, you see people, you know, talking about it. Um, restaurants, things opening up, options at restaurants that aren't necessarily veg friendly, but they have them now, you know, so they're opening up. Now, the reason why I, I think, so to kind of get back to, you know, just away from that example to just maybe a rubric that you can use for other, other issues, um, like you're saying education and also money. So if there are documentaries like food Inc or forks over knives or these other, you know, uh, fat, sick and nearly dead, I think is another one where, um, they, the filmmakers pr- present really well an argument for veganism, whether it's ethical, environmental, um, uh, nutritional. People watch them, and yeah, you're going to get a few people to kind of convert and move over. Um, and when they do that, then they start shopping for stuff that is vegan, aside from the obvious fruits and vegetables, to transition, like fake meats, garden meats, 
Boca burgers, whatever. Well, but also too fruits and vegetables, you know, it's just as easy to go and buy more fruit or vegetables as it is to go and get something that's already processed and made and, you know, what have you. Right. I, I'm referring to people who are just are not. But really, yeah, I get what you're saying. If you're raised on like Burger King, it's hard to suddenly be like, no, go eat an apple. You know, like you want something that yeah. that's meaty, quote unquote, you know. Uh, so so now that's more accessible. So now they're making profit. These companies are making profits off this vegan meat or you know mayo. So that's the second step where now, yeah, you convince people a little bit, at least a small portion with your media, with your movies. Now you're making money off of it. Suddenly now it's, it's more acceptable through the mainstream. So I'm offering that as an example, maybe a way somehow, <laughs> you know, to get that information out there and help change the system to where people could still make, you know, get the information out there in a great documentary. And there's, there's tons of, you know, Noam Chomsky and stuff and his stuff has, has worked well for you for decades, but to make money off of it, to allow businesses to say, okay, you can talk about changing the system as long as we can make money off of you. Yeah, maybe it's making a deal with the devil, but at least you're making progress. Yeah, and I think at the same time, money is not necessarily just this, you know, this evil entity, but it's also, it represents people's, what they want, what they're interested in, and, you know, what they're willing to spend their hard-earned, you know, effort on. And, but yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to the issue of like, you have to really educate people so that they feel compelled to do something about it. Um, because if they don't know any better, why would they, you know? So that's this step is one. the same food that they've been fed, you know, forever. And they've been told that it's great by, you know, whatever commercials or, you know, whatever information they've been given. But now that they've got access to their own information and then they can see, you know, a, a different opinion and, and there's more research available now. Um, that maybe makes a better argument for these things. But, um, you know, I think that that's part of the battle and it, it's certainly a slow one and, yeah. and not one that happens overnight, but it's, it's one that is happening now because there is more access to information. I think you see it so prevalently in a city like Austin because there is such a wide range of differing opinions and it's, it's a city that ultimately is based around a university. And, and so you have that intellectualism as a deep part of the culture here at least initially, but mm -hmm. even more so now. Um, I mean, tech companies are a big reason why Austin has grown so much. And, right. and those are the type of people, too, that are willing to embrace an intellectual approach and really kind of take the scientific method of asking why and, and figuring it out, you know, based on evidence. So that's primarily what you, you would start with, just educating people. Yeah. Specifically, like I, I'm going to get a little tougher. Like, what specifically? And it's just I'm, I'm answering questions that are, would be hard for me to answer too. So, what specifically would you do aside from a podcast? Okay, which which we're doing right now, which I think is I think is a great a great step um, to get information out there. People who may not be as interested. How would you convince? I mean, them that's to be a like, tough, This is important. That's a tough question because regardless of how you do that, um, you know, whatever method you think is most effective and. You know, whether you're putting out billboards or what have you and spending money on that kind of stuff, you can, you know, you can show a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think that that rings true with a lot of this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to see, like, how do you make it important to somebody's, you know, personal interests? Like, is this important enough to you that you're willing to sacrifice your health or are you willing to kind of open your mind up and you know, listen to some of these things so that you can possibly improve your health or, you know, the health of your family and, and that kind of thing. And I think that when you really make it important to somebody is when they start to care. And that, that's how you make them care is not by, you know, 
putting it out there in commercials or whatever and using the traditional forms of influencing people, I think it's when you really make it part of their, you know, part of their life or part of, you know, what matters to them. How that's to be done. I don't know. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, how you put that information out there is tough because you also have these contrasting opinions that don't want that information out there, you know? Uh, Lee, what do you make of that? Uh, we talked about this uh, a while back when I think it was the World Health Organization or who? One of those. Uh, who? Uh, 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 <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, when they put out this, uh, I don't know if it's a proclamation or conclusion about pro- uh, processed meat, specifically beef. Specifically bacon. <laughs> Are you serious? Was it bacon? Yeah. Okay. Okay, bacon being a carcinogen or being this as cancer causing? Right? It was the bacon was moved into the same class as cigarettes as far as cancer risk. Right, right. And and we had when we and I talked about that, um to me it was just like kind of a duh kind of like, well almost like obvious kind of kind of statement. Like, well right. that's one of the reasons I switched over to, to, to veganism eighteen years ago is because I knew there's a lot of adverse health effects, especially from processed meat. But you brought up an interesting perspective. You're just like, well, what was this based on? Like, what, what kind of studies? Yeah. They, they literally just shat out that one fact with no backup, with no reference to the studies they did, or without any criteria. Like, is this somebody who ate bacon once and they got cancer? Or is this somebody that ate the amount of bacon equivalent to a person smoking a pack a day of cigarettes? They, they did. I have to I have to interject here. They did support they did it with saying, like, hey, studies, we reviewed. Yeah, we reviewed. they were. Go ahead. The entire thing was very unspecific. And obviously, bacon's bad for you. Obviously, cigarettes are bad for you. Obviously, sugar's bad for you, but nobody's cutting out sugar, you know? Um, so it's just like a healthy diet is healthy and an unhealthy diet is unhealthy. And that's so obvious. Right. Why do we need an organization to tell us that? Well, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of parallels between food, the way it's been represented in the past several decades, and the way that cigarettes were represented. You know, they were represented originally as a way to be vital and a, as a way to relax. Yeah, and as a way to, a way to as an asthma cure. Yeah, exactly. A way um, to relax your vocal cords. <laughs> yeah, but by the time that you know, maybe an organization like WHO or you know other, you know, major organizations started saying, "Hey, cigarettes are bad for you; they cause cancer." It probably was a duh kind of thing for everybody else, at least that were wanting that type of information or that cared. Um, but I do think that that's important because it does kind of open people's eyes that maybe we're not, you know, privy to that flat fact that, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat so many baconators. So does it have to go through, I mean, maybe this is a little off topic, but does it have to go through an authority sub, authority organization for it to be believed? You know? In a way, yeah. I mean, that, that for some people, yes. Um, and that's, you know, maybe people that don't necessarily know what to do with research or studies or you know what have you how to consider their sources but at the same time you tend to trust those organizations a little bit more and you tend to take you know what they say of value and you're willing to listen to them um, yeah i see that speaking generally i see that as such a problem but um even after something where a cause that i'm fighting for in a sense of eating less animal right is supported by this i still see it as a big problem that because an authority subject says this is how it shall be. And people are like, okay, okay, you're right. right. And um, I actually met somebody at the grocery store earlier today and we, we talked, not met, just a, a acquaintance of mine. And um, we talked that it's through, through government and everything else that we're talking about tonight, 
the le- like, oh, there's no possible way you can run your life properly. You have to trust others above you to do it for you, which is kind of insulting to me. It's kind of that's, saying like that's to, to you, but I think to other people, that's not necessarily, you know, not, not a lot of other people think the same way. And for a lot of other people, it is, it's something that's hard for them to, to accept um, when they haven't heard it from someone, you know, or some organization that's credible. It's, it's very tough for some people to go against the taboo or, you know, what the cultural conscience says. And that's, I think that that's a big part of it is that they, they don't necessarily have the confidence, you know, in their own abilities to question things. Um, Isn't that the very definition of being disempowered? Is that yeah, right? yeah. You but I think also too... You can't too, start with all the answers. That's how you can only live life your way. You right. have to start knowing nothing and then every year you build a little bit of information and slowly but surely you build the quote-unquote correct answer. Mm-hmm. But you can't just blindly follow what somebody says just because they have a cool but, acronym. But some people do. I'm not saying that that's the right way, but I'm you know I'm representing the devil's advocate and that that's the way that some people live their lives. And that's all right. Well, I'm starting the uh, LEE Lee organization, and uh, bacon <laughs> once a week is totally fine. Yeah, and, and the more people <laughs> that believe that, out. yeah. <laughs> well, we've never heard of this Lee organization. So. I've never heard of who till their bacon bullshit. <laughs> the World Health Organization. It's, it's been out there. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's I think that authoritarian. Man, that's, I used the word wrong, the word way wrong. The the belief that you cannot take care of yourself, that it has to be through others, whether it's a elect, elected official that can do all the research for policies for you, or through a, a health organization that can study all the studies for you, that they can de- best determine your course of action. That really chaps my hide. It, it basically says you cannot take care of yourself, and the only way for you to be happy. Is to follow us. So it, it flies in the face of everything you and I talked about. How can you actually affect change? Yeah. Well, if people feel like, you know what? I don't need to do anything except follow what I'm told, that they're not going to change anything. Why, why change yeah. that? They have their masters to tell them what to do. But at the same time, some people are totally willing to accept that, you know? I, I think that some people, it's great that you feel that way and that you, you know, want to kind of represent your own interests and that you have these opinions, but... At the same time, that's not the way that everybody thinks, and a lot of people are just willing to con- content to take what's given to them. Okay, and and that's that's a sentiment that's been, you know, probably more popular or less popular over time, and that now we're reaching a point where most more people than ever are willing to stand up and and say that you know no, that's not right, or you know, right. That I, so now you're playing devil, devil's advocate. Would you would you agree that this would be it's dangerous? And I'll use the word dangerous to have people, especially majority people in that thought process. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, because there's a lot of historical make... examples that point to, yeah. oh, wait a second. In hindsight, that was really stupid of us. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's some very obvious examples, but, you know, mm-hmm. it, it happens. It's the nature of societies in a lot of ways that people tend to, you know, to do what the rest of people are doing and they're not necessarily they don't necessarily have the courage to stand up and, and say for themselves that's not what I believe in or that's not right um, or you know even this is what's right or this is what I believe and this is what I'm willing to stand up for because it's it, it's a hard thing to do well somebody has to grow up and <laughs> I mean I don't yeah. know like I, no, I, I, I know agree. I, I, I totally get it because I you know it makes you want to 
grab people that are like that and just shake them and you yeah. know, say, what the hell? Like, think for yourself. Don't be such a sheep. But that's just the nature of some people. And, and you know, those types of people don't necessarily even need or want to make their own decisions. And so it's, it's hard because you, it comes with the question of like, should we do what's best for them or should we let them figure that out for themselves or are they even able to, you know? I believe they are. I believe they are. And I think that we only have a couple minutes left, but I think it's good to, to I'm determined to end on, a, on an uptick, on a hopeful <laughs> note. All right. I, I'm determined because um, I do believe that the society and society and system, these are all grandiose words, but it means pretty much the same thing that we're born into and socialized in not only, you know, uh, puts us in our place, so to speak, you know, corrupts us to go along with corrupt politicians and officials, but it, it takes away any sort of ability, uh, initially to, to, to get us out of it, to even see that there's an issue, right? Right. Like basically everything you're saying, Andy, right. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really think it's something about oh these kinds of people or these sorts of people or somehow they're genetically <laughs> inferior to no, the, the rest of us. It's just what they're brought into. Yeah, it's a it's a nature versus nurture thing. Yeah. So with you know with that said, then I mean I guess the, the trick is to somehow you know at all ages, including children, you know, right. but obviously as adults, you know, get in and meet with people and provide examples of ways to live your life yeah. where you are more self sufficient, that you, you're happier because of it that you give a damn about others and you're not easily manipulated. And to counteract this current culture where we already described, they're just kind of sheep, but this current culture is more concerned about being right or wrong than what the truth is. So if, there, if there's a discussion with somebody and they're, they're raised in a certain way and you provide information that's different, suddenly there's this cognitive dissonance where we're like, well, even though they know, okay, they're probably not living correctly or there's something wrong with what they're doing. They just, they can't afford to be wrong. That's like the most insulting thing in the world. Well, and it's because there's such a a cultural need to not be wrong. Like that's a taboo to be wrong. And, you know, it's a it's an instinctual thing to to want to be right and, you know, be on the side that is right. So, um, you know, I think that it's a it's a tie between, you know, your instincts and your animalistic nature and, you know, what goes beyond that in your, you know, your greater consciousness. And yeah, so. That's really the battle that we're looking at now. And it's it's tough to see which side is winning out because I don't think that, you know, there is necessarily one side or the other winning out. But, um, you know, you would hope and, and certainly it seems that over time, the side of consciousness and the side of, you know, the greater good is finally starting to, you know, gain momentum. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's that's the positive note that we'll end on is that it is gaining momentum and that it's you know, it's really, it's fighting against our nature and, you know, where we've come from, you know, in terms of a species, but, yeah, um, you know, it's certain the direction we're going and it's just, it's, it's hard to see progress because we're in such a small microcosm of the history of this movement. Right. So that could be something for another show where we actually can see, uh, something I guess we'd, we'd have to research, but see progress. Like right. say at this time, at this point, this is where we were at and this is how we're better off. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Perspective Podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or you want to suggest topics for us to uh, research and discuss and have a good time with, feel free to email us at theperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Also, thank you to Jay Talbot for providing the music for our show. If you want to check out Jay Talbot and his music, go to Kamui, that's K-A, excuse me, K-A-M-U-I, dot bandcamp.com. 
gmail.com. So, for myself, Eric, Andy, and Lee, I want to wish you a great day, and until next time.